2: I can't uh, wait I till we get to small. the picks
1: now because
2: you just added one for me. But I'm not, I really want to talk about <laughs> okay, it now, but okay. I won't. And I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. Okay,
3: good. <laughs> good. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 127 of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm Tim Mitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I'm also joined by Tammy Corron down in West Tennessee. Hey. Alrighty. So actually I actually did have some follow-up from Kim Alberg, but but he said something to the effect of he moved to America. So he works up in Seattle near you, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, that's yeah, right. I so did him. see. So what do you guys think of that
3: Peter. little... What do you think about the little little vignettes of uh, what the iPhone meant to people? What do you think about that section? I thought it was pretty cool. It was nice to see what everybody's
0: different perspectives were. Right. I enjoyed it. Did you?
2: I did. I lis- you know, I said to you yesterday that I tried to listen to the show and then I got sidetracked. And mm. I actually did go back right. right after our conversation last night and I did listen to it and I heard... Um, you started with Aaron Douglas, I believe, right. That was the first one you put up and it was really touching. I mean, to listen to the stories and then I I don't recall all of the names of all the people that left those little snippets, but I meant to reach out to you and say, Tim, you did a really good job editing that stuff in and it's, it flowed really well. And it kind of was a little, mm -hmm. um, like I said, it was touching, you know, to hear all those stories
3: yeah it's interesting to see what what people take away from because i mean it's obviously been something that's affected our lives or the three of us right um being developers and that kind of stuff but just even just using the phone i mean i was happy to use the phone right from the get go you know as soon as as soon as apple had a phone um and I didn't know what it was going to be, but it was interesting to hear what, you know, George Strombolopoulos said about, for him, the iPod was the big thing because he's, he's into music, right? And that's his business. And Aaron is, you know, he's an engineer on, on WordPress. And so that kind of, you know, being able to write the WordPress app for iOS for him is a big thing, right? Um, I loved Rich's story at the end there about putting his, having to keep his money and his change in the other pocket, you know? That's kind of what this technology has done. It's disrupted our little lives in a lot of different ways, right?
2: In good ways though in yeah, bad ways too yeah. though let 's not let 's not kid ourselves
3: <laughs> you know it 's aggravating
2: yep. when you go out to dinner or anywhere really, and you you can see two people clearly together, but not you know, and
3: that 's right, frustrating right. to see yeah but you 're right it, it 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 does get to, does can can be disruptive with people 's lives and stuff like that, and sometimes the kids spend too much time in front of uh, the square devices, as my friend calls them. So she restricts the amount of square time people have, right? So we have some follow-up items here. Yeah, so I, I think we've talked about Apple and their possible intention of, of getting into television production, and I think it's come out quite a bit lately about um, Apple um, trying to take on uh, some of the, I guess, some of the, the business that Netflix and Spotify are involved in um, with some more substantial rumors about, or rumors, I guess, a story about um, apple getting into tv production Did you guys have a look at these two links
2: i just started to look at the uh the obviously the this one here mac rumors and apple tv music
3: yeah so uh, jim iovine is the uh, that's how i pronounce his name um yeah, he's the uh, executive, I guess, at Apple. It's in charge of Apple Music, if I'm not mistaken.
2: I'm not going to lie. The only and... reason I clicked on that link originally is because I, I misread it as Johnny Ive. So I was a little disappointed. <laughs> I was a little disappointed when I went in there. <laughs> like, so oh, yeah. I, oh.
0: I, I was there at WWDC in 2015 when, right, yeah. when Mr. Iovine, which I think you got it correct. I think that's how I remember him saying his name, um, was there giving the really weird, awkward pitch for Apple Music. So it is. Branded Mm -hmm. in my brain. Um, But I did see, not these two particular links that you have here, but I saw, I think, similar ones about how they're trying to make Apple Music more competitive. Uh, Not so much in, like, a pure numbers basis, but, like, adding more to, like, what it is, right? So adding, um, like, some sort of TV sort of uh, thing to it. And as you have here in the other link about how they are trying to do the sort of the Netflix model where you... You generate your own content that's exclusive to your platform, and, and that makes your platform more um, you know, more appealing, right? Like, is there's plenty of competitors out there for, for plenty of these things, and uh, everybody needs to have the, the same basic sort of content. But when you're trying to choose, like, well, who am I going to give my $10 a month to this year? I, I think having those exclusives has been pretty important for these folks.
3: Yeah, it's interesting to see that that uh, and, and I don't know that Netflix and Spotify necessarily make all that much money from it. So it's kind of strange uh to to sort of be chasing that. But it seems to be like everybody's got like now that I have a smart TV, I'm finding, you know, now I'm using Netflix a lot more because it's it's right there on the TV, but uh, Amazon's got I you know signed up for the Prime thing uh, a couple of weeks ago and I've been trying to watch some of that but the content isn't quite there yet with Amazon. Um and who else has it? Hulu well you guys have Hulu, right? Does Hulu have exclusive stuff? In the oh States yeah, or? you know,
2: it's funny you mention they that do. because um my husband and I were just talking about Hulu and Netflix. They were all starting to come out with original content and whether it be movies right, or right. series, they're all doing it. And he said he made the very poignant comment that they're not just streaming services anymore, they're networks. They got their own stuff.
0: Exactly. I think it'll be interesting to see how this sort of plays out because like with regards to what Apple brings to the table, because so far there are kind of like two different extremes for how you do this sort of building a network sort of thing with your original content. In my mind, it kind of comes down to you're either Netflix or you're HBO where HBO has sort right, of right. limited, limited data, you know, cause they're going through the intermediaries. Yes, they do have their own streaming service now but when they started things like Boardwalk Empire and Game of Thrones and so on and so forth like they didn't have it in that information so i think they were really heavily dependent on really having good taste good judgment as to what would be um you know good projects to bring on board and Netflix had tons and tons of data that it can mine in myriad different ways to say well What if we combine this and this, what if it's this actor with this director or this producer with these writers and can use that sort of data-driven approach to bring things forth, right? Things that they feel will be like reasonably confident about that will be successful. I'm not sure where Apple sort of fits into it, right? I think since they don't have that data, like uh, maybe to some extent through iTunes, but purchasing is not the same as sort of all you can eat streaming. I feel like they'll have to fall closer to being on the HBO side, where hopefully they'll have hired really talented people that have good taste and can pick
3: out the winners. It's kind of strange in this model. Like, I've, I've followed some of the broadcast networks, specifically, you know, the ones here in Canada, and I, I know that when. They, there's a sort of uh, conference thing that they go down to in L.A., if I'm not mistaken, where shows are pitched to them, you know, like there may be a pilot or maybe like maybe even like a bunch of episodes, and they buy those shows. And that's, like here in Canada, we get, we have a couple of, you know, we have our main, main networks, and then we have some smaller um, novelty channels. Like, you know, we have... Um, uh FX and and uh we have a thing called show not showtime but we have a showcase i think it's called here but you know how you have showtime down there and they have some stuff and what's the what's the one that CW is the network that Supergirl is on yes cw right yeah mm-hmm. so so you guys get it on on cw we get it up here on on showcase or bravo or some other similar type of thing so it's kind of like the these guys go down to la they 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 bid whatever they bid for the shows and then they get the exclusive right to show it up here and and i kind of wonder if that is a similar model that happens in what we see as netflix and i mean like did game was game of thrones actually produced by HBO initially, or was it something that was pitched and then HBO picked it up, you know, kind of thing, or same with Westworld and that kind of stuff, right? Um, it's interesting. I, I would have to talk to a TV insider to sort of get that that uh, that inside story, right? But um, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting to see how this is going to play out. And I don't know how, I, you know, again, <laughs> coming back to what I was saying earlier about the iPhone, I didn't understand how Apple was going to play an iPhone into the market, right? I'm not sure how Apple would play... Uh, their own content into this thing kind of thing. And, I, and I'm a little, I find it a bit fragmented that, um, you know, I can't watch certain shows because I don't have access to that particular channel network or I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sign up for it. Um, like we're still, Carol and I still use cable. I mean, I don't know if you guys have cable anymore. I think Tammy doesn't, right? No, I do not. But uh, do, you, do you, Jaime? Do you have, I do. You have I cable do. Still, and, and, and the last
0: sort of tripwire holding me up is, um, live sports. So that's getting a little better with, with, you know, ESPN is starting its own, you know, cable cutter, cord cutter sort of service. But I I need to be certain that all of the teams that I follow and, and, and special event type stuff too. Uh, So not just like the big four, big five um, sports, but also things like the Olympics, um, you know, the world cup, I need to make sure that I have access to that sort of stuff. And, Right now, cable is still the absolute best way of, of ensuring that you do have at least you know real time access to it.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. We have a we have a side story. I didn't put a post on here, but maybe I'll add it to the show notes. But uh, it's just a story that's come up recently, and that is that services like Netflix in Canada don't aren't obligated to pay to charge um, tax. You know when they sell their product, right? So you pay like nine or ten dollars, whatever it is, for Netflix. Um, but there's no uh, what we call HST or, or Harmonized Sales Tax, right? Um, that's like I think it's thirteen percent in Ontario. So the government has stepped up and said, well, and because right now the way it's regulated up here is because it's a downloaded content and it's not necessarily something you're physically buying and in, in you know like or being handed over. It's data, basically, right? Um, it's been excluded from having uh, that tax charge. And so now all of a sudden there, there's a question of whether we'll be paying tax on top of Netflix, right? Which is kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if you guys have a similar thing down in the States. Like, Do you, like, do, do you have anything, any kind of experience with that kind of stuff?
2: I think Netflix and Hulu both charge tax here.
0: Do they? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm it's just Hulu normal thinking. sales tax that, that's included, if uh, if anything yeah. at all. I'd have to look at my bill.
3: Well, so it's it's significant. I mean, like with the number of people using Netflix here in Canada, and, and actually, was, was, um, I was we were speculating a couple of weeks ago, um, and I saw a post by somebody online saying they missed the little red envelopes here in Canada. So I guess when K- Netflix came to Canada, they must have had the the disc delivery system because that's how Netflix started, right? With by, by sending out DVDs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before they went online. Um, Yeah, so I, I, you know, because there's no physical, like we have a sort of funny law here. If, If you physically, if I burn something to a CD and I, like if I build a website for you and I burn it to a CD and I hand it to you right then i don't know this law may have changed so people can stop yelling at their iPhones or whatever but mm-hmm. uh, back in the day i didn't have if i handed you a cd or printed out a laser copy i was I was obligated to charge you provincial sales tax but if if i did something for you like built a website and uploaded it to an ftp site for you i didn't have to charge you sales tax which was really strange right because it wasn't there was no physical good being handed over right mm, so it's kind of a strange strange thing so anyway so that's the big thing going through uh, it's on it's the news right now, and, you know, people are up in arms. But, you know, if you think about it, it's it's revenue for the government that, that they could be using to, you know, pay for Canadian content, right, as well, right? They could turn it back into uh, grants for the arts.
0: Sure, sure.
3: Um, and I guess for this news, sort of bringing it back to,
0: like, what will this mean for developers? It's it's pretty early to say, but if, if this sort of thing takes off, I think it would be good to watch out for or keep alert For things that would be available to developers that would sort of entice us to more deeply integrate with uh, Apple Music and whatever this uh, TV offering might be. Um, Mm -hmm. You can imagine Mm -hmm. apps that are uh, built around, you know, creating your playlists or or your wish list or whatever the the case may be, or or perhaps, um, you know, message app. Sharing extensions of like, oh, check out this really cool scene from you know episode five of this new TV show that comes out on on Apple Service. So I think that's where right. the, the opportunities might present themselves for developers.
3: But do we have access to any APIs for Apple Apple Music? I know that for the um, iTunes Store, we used to have uh, store sheets that we could put into our apps, and you know if you had an affiliate program, you could recoup some reference referral money like you do with Amazon, right? But do we have any API access from Apple TV or Apple Music, sorry? There is some, like, I know you can add stuff to a playlist and probably
0: even play stuff from Apple Music, assuming the user has uh, has signed up for the service, but I, I haven't really looked into it too far, so I can't say how deep it goes.
3: Hmm. Well, one little interesting segue today, and I took a screenshot of it, or tried to. Was was um, I was listening to uh, another podcast, and, and there was a Kickstarter program that um, was well, Matt and Reese actually, who's put together this micro blog micro dot blog service, and part of it is a kick, Kickstarter. And actually, when I went to pay for it, it actually allowed me to use Apple Pay on the web. I guess that's uh, I think we talked about that uh, as something that was coming or is available to us now. We can use Apple Pay as well on websites or Kickstarter you know anything about that? I
2: heard, Well, I heard Apple Pay was coming to the web, but I never looked into it beyond just hearing rumors and whispers in the hallways, you know?
3: Right. <laughs> Have you heard, had you heard of it, Jaime, or had you seen it anywhere? Uh, I had definitely heard
0: of it. I remember it was one of those things that I thought was going to be really big coming out of WWDC, but um, I guess I haven't encountered any sites uh personally and, and that's probably just because i i tend to stick in chrome and not in safari and that's a safari only thing so that's probably why oh I'm is it of... oh right yeah right, yeah right. and i bet that's really neat if you have the new macbook pro with the touch id sensor on it i bet that's really <laughs> slick
3: i actually was on my my um my iphone when i was listening to the podcast and of course then i you know I. I Went to the Kickstarter thing and then clicked on it. And it was cool to see the little Apple Pay thing down there. Yeah, and I just used, used Touch ID on my phone to pay for it. It was like $10 US or something. But it was kind of cool. It was the first time I'd sort of seen that out in the wild, right? Or I didn't even know it was a thing. So you did that on mobile Safari is what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah, I went to I went to the release note.tv site on, on my phone and then um, found the link to micro.blog Kickstarter thing from Matt and Reese. So figures matt and reese would do that right
1: <laughs> so yeah if you guys want to experience uh,
3: apple pay on the web go to micro.blog kickstarter and, and check it out <laughs> Chip in some money for no other reason than to you know beyond
0: you know the the, the, the well-to-do stuff of like you know supporting the project is like hey let me try this cool thing out that i haven't tried out yeah yeah just for the every sake of trying it every penny sure. counts no matter how it comes to you right
3: yeah well, speaking of the new MacBook Pro, um, apparently sla- or Consumer Reports has uh, turned around and they're now re- recommending the MacBook Pro, the new MacBook Pro twenty sixteen with the Touch Bar, after going back and testing some stuff. I don't know, if, and you had mentioned I think a couple of weeks ago that uh, there was some question about the way they tested the uh, the batteries on these devices, right? Well, yeah, because um, it's completely
0: unreasonable that oh we switched to Chrome, at, which is a known battery hog, and oh look, it lasted eighteen right. hours. Like what? No, I mean, really? Maybe it's condensing electricity out of the ether or something because this doesn't, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. And they followed up and they had some, you know, some sort of like PR back and forth battle with Apple. And it, it turns out there is a, there's a particular developer setting, if I'm not mistaken, within Safari that you can say, oh, I don't want you to cache anything. So, therefore, it will keep right. redownloading everything. And apparently there's a horrible uh. bug within Safari related to this. Uh, this particular setup. Once they they verified with Apple this uh, this whole situation, they retest it. And it's like, oh, look, it actually lasts a reasonable amount of time. It's like 8 to 10 hours or something under their testing conditions. So it gets their seal of approval now. One
3: hmm. well, good thing they're not using printed books anymore, printed magazines anymore, I guess, because they'd have to go back and stop the presses. Yeah. yeah interesting. <laughs> I,
0: I think, well, one, bad on Apple for not, you know, for not testing that sort of thing and, and having that particular bug. Um, but I think also probably bad on consumer reports that they they seem to have been incentivized to get out a really juicy story rather than mm. really digging into it and say, whoa, 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 th- th- this is this is not right. You know, this this doesn't make sense. Let's, let's go verify with Apple what the heck is going on, because it, there's no possible way like it would be completely fraudulent, right, for Apple to say, oh, this gets, you know, eight to 10 hours of battery life and they're testing at consumer reports it's like you know, you get like three or four right that, that's a clear right like uh, the federal trade commission uh here in the united states would get involved if, if you wanted them to right it's like look this is deceptive this is fraudulent advertising so since i can only assume that consumer reports probably should have said like yeah pr- apple's probably not committing fraud because they don't do that um maybe we should like give them right. the benefit of the doubt and go figure out what's going on rather than either try to hit a particular deadline um, or try to get a particularly juicy title out there. Because this story was shared, like, everywhere because of that.
3: Right, yeah. And it's funny because uh, Consumer Reports has always been supportive of Apple or Mac products anyway, right? At least uh, in my experience. All right, so this story just came out today, and uh, I want to say it's huge. But, uh, so, yeah, so tell us about uh, Twitter and Fabric and Google.
0: Yeah. So for those who may not have followed along this whole time, um, uh, fabric is the whole set of developer tools. Um, it it's many things, but I think the most common thing that people used it for was crashlytics. It's, um, you know, crash really, reporting uh, uh, piece. Uh, there's other pieces, right? There's uh, like, um, uh, forgetting the top, top of my head. There's like an analytics piece. There's the uh, advertising network and, when twitter acquired them they rolled in their their digits framework which was related to letting people sign up or two factor authenticate through their phone right through phone numbers um, twitter has owned this for a while now it looks like back in 2013 2014ish is probably when they acquired
3: yeah, yeah. When,
0: when they acquired fabric and They made it free because before you had like a freemium sort of thing where like you get some stuff for free, but if you're getting sort of like large usage, you have to go and pay a premium account. Um, And Twitter made it completely free for everyone for for any amount of usage. Uh, Come today, we get this announcement that Google is buying fabric from Twitter and incorporating it into its Firebase product, which we've mentioned Mm. other show before is, is is very similar. It brings a lot of analytics stuff, crash reporting and then so on and so forth. So this is, I think this is pretty big because there's just so many different apps out there that use this service. So you're, you're, you're impacted in some way.
3: Yeah. Well, crash Linux is huge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and so that's just like the sort of like, how does it impact everybody? um, or The fact that it does impact so many different apps. I think the next thing is, like the, the wise about this, because I think that gets towards the, like, let's take a step towards evaluating. Um, you know, this is a third party component. This is a third party service. And if Mark were here, I'm sure he'd be like, ah, oh, see, there you go. Like stuff happens to yeah. you, your, your, And like yeah, That's true. Um, I think in this case, it makes sense for both parties and is probably ultimately, um, a reduction in, in stress and and risk for people who use this sort of stuff. I think Twitter at one point was looking to be more developer friendly, especially when Jack Dorsey came back on board, but it seems like they've sort of realized that that's not their path forward to success, right? That's um, Mm -hmm. being developer friendly is not going to help them, you know, look any better in front of um, the investors in the public market. And, And they're changing their, their approach to be much more focused on the Twitter product itself. So I don't think this really got the attention necessarily that it would, you know, really need from Twitter. Google, on the other hand, is really good at making developer tools and has a very large vested interest in making sure that people keep shoving data into their system. Um, and, and I think that's why they sort of doubled down on on using Firebase and bringing, you know, acquiring that company and making it part of their foundation of their development platform. And so this feels like it would reduce the, the likelihood of this being cut for budgetary reasons, which I could see at Twitter because they're, they're dealing with like, how do we make money and Google has tons of money. So it, it's kind of like a safer spot.
3: Well, yeah, I know you threw Mark under the buster a minute ago, but uh, he has been, you know, he's not, not biggest fan of Twitter and he's, he often wonders why we are all on it. But, um, it, it, just the other day, the the Twitter made the mainstream news here in Canada. Nothing related to fabric. That I, I'd have to go back and listen to the show. But they were talking about how Twitter stock has been you know, has been diving, and the president elect uh, in the states tends to want to use Twitter a lot, and that's sort of a questionable thing. But the. Um the uh, fact that Twitter is like, from my perspective, the fact that Twitter has been, you know, I guess they're bleeding money, if you will, like their stock. Pro- I'm, I have a few shares of stock and I've just been watching it go down and down and down, you know, basically writing off the money because it's, it's going to be gone soon, I think. Right. But them selling off fabric, you know, obviously, it's going to be an infusion of cash, I would think, into the company or something into the company. Um, and perhaps that's going to give them a little bit of a, a, a longer lease on life. What do you think about that? I mean, when I look at it, I, I look at this being very
0: similar to, uh, let's look at Facebook when it acquired Parse, right? right. So, uh, which, spoiler alert, they, they recently, have they? Yeah, by now I think they've shut, shut down the Parse service. Yeah, it's, um, it's gone, yeah. Yep. They, they gave a year notice, and I think we've, we've hit that year notice now. At the time that Facebook acquired Parse, uh, it had also just recently gone public and was looking desperately for, like, how can we make money? How can we draw in revenue? And this developer tools idea was one possibility. And as it turns out, their whole mobile ad network was way more lucrative. And so they ended up dumping the developer tools. And, and sadly, the people who are using Parse are kind of left out in the cold or to their own devices. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, it's open source, so they could sort of, limp along with other stuff and, and other services have cropped up but that's a lot less uh you know one stop shop as it was before right you're, you're kind of on your own more and i i feel like uh, fabric could easily have ended up the same way if it had stayed with twitter because twitter is also desperately looking for some sort of way to make money and if they find that way it's a nice you know Change things on the balance books, but like, hey, let's just dump this thing so it's not a, a huge cost to us anymore, right? Let's do this thing that makes money. And I think, yeah, yeah, again, moving this to Google, who has all you know other motives and 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 tons of money in the bank. Nobody's looking at Google saying, "Hey, wait a minute, like how are you guys going to make?" Because they make boatloads of money, right? They they probably literally bring them <laughs> in like on boats, <laughs> just big old boats of fat stacks of cash and money bags. And so I feel like this is a much Google? safer. Yeah, I feel like this is a, like it just goes right there. Like there's probably a port right there in Mountain View that they just they just bring into tankers,
3: <laughs> <laughs> tankers of cash, right? <laughs> tankers of cash,
0: just fat stacks of cash is coming into Google constantly.
3: Yeah, well, I think that Mark would probably, and I, and I kind of see it that you know, reducing overhead is one of the things you do when when you have uh, when you 're in trouble I mean you know and the reality is is that maybe maybe having the whole fabric uh, thing fabric service around and crash and stuff like that was probably costing them more than it was benefiting them you know, and to spin it off to google um, you know I think everyone wants to get acquired by Google at some point, right, so maybe even just a a partial acquire acquisition by by uh, Google towards Fabric would would help Twitter out, you know. So, but but again, I kind of I'd love to hear what Mark would have to say about that. Maybe we'll ask him next week. You know, does this read the death knell for uh, for Twitter?
2: I'm just sitting here wondering, like, you know, you brought up Parse earlier, and it's like I I don't understand why large companies buy these smaller things and then get rid of them. Is it just so they don't have competition, yeah. or what? Like, I don't I don't I, I don't understand that.
3: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. Like you think when, when uh, somebody like Facebook buys parse that it's going to make parse better. But yeah, it's, it was kind of a shocker for a lot of people, right? Cause I mean, uh, and some of the replacement products that, that I mean was sort of alluding to, I think Firebase is one of them, right? Um, mm-hmm. as well as, uh, I think Realm has something, a tool that people can use for uh, parse replacement. Parse was around for a long time, right? Um, and they, I think they were, yeah, cause I, I, I think when it was building two life back in, 2012, we actually considered parse for a few minutes because, you know, because um, it had just come out. Right. And, uh, and it was, it seemed to be relatively easy to use and that kind of stuff. Right. So I think that's why a lot of people went to it, but, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a shocker. And, and I think it, it kind of left a lot of people high and dry when, when, um, when Facebook shut it down, right. For Scrambling sure. anyway.
2: I don't know. I, I typically yeah, right. won't use third party services mainly for that reason. You know, when I was doing yeah, heavier yeah, well, development for anything really, it would be, okay, can I get away with doing it with the tools and the frameworks provided in whatever I'm coding for? Cool. Right, right. If I can, excellent. If I needed to look to a third-party library because either the tools inside the SDK were not there or were not good, I would really, really have to strongly consider is that feature necessary right now? Because so many times you'll sit there and you'll, blood, sweat and tears into getting this third party library to work and you've got everything working and then something changes and everything stops working or somebody decides not to contribute to that third party library anymore or gets bought out by the bigger fish. I mean, there's a number of different reasons, at least for me, why I tend to shy away from third party libraries as much as I can. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't some fantastic ones out there that people should be utilizing. It just means that I don't want the headache, you all take care of that
3: well i was gonna I was gonna say since Mark's on the show, you have to be the curmudgeon tonight and and you filled that road really really well <laughs> thank you um, would you do what mark does would, would you do what Mark does, and would you build your own sort of way of dealing with whatever feature you needed, or what would you do?
2: I probably would build my own only because then I really am very intimate with it, and if I need If I need to update it in some way that I can. Now, that being Mm -hmm. said, it really depends on what the feature is because there's also no point in reinventing the wheel. Okay. So it goes back to, do I need this feature right now? Is whatever I'm trying to accomplish really worth the time and the energy required to make it work? And a lot of times the answer is no, it's just Mm -hmm. no, it's really not. So right. i don't know you know i just i'm not a huge proponent of third party libraries for me personally
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right on the plus side since let's see parse came out probably five or six years ago and and in that time frame, uh a lot of stuff has gone on in the open source community that has made it sort of less necessary to have that sort of thing right um I mean scaling like if your service becomes know instagram level popular like you're you're in for a world of hurt in in terms of scaling some of that stuff um that you would get sort of out of the box with these but you know for smaller uh, you know smaller than instagram (laughs) projects uh you're probably pretty good just going with a lot of the open source bits that are out there um either parse itself as an open source project um there's other things that are a little bit easier to sort of pull these things together, right? Um, Node is pretty popular and people are using you know, Docker and, and Kubernetes to orchestrate these things in ways that, that would have been a lot more painful to do, uh, sort of the, the system administrator or sysops type work. Uh, it has gotten a lot less painful than it was back in you know, 2011. So I think it's less daunting now to put this sort of thing together uh, for your, for yourself. And, and control, uh, you know, the keys to your own kingdom.
2: I'm just going to burn the kingdom down. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty dark. <laughs> that's
3: okay. Uh, right, so Jaime, why don't you tell us about uh, Instagram and white color? What's, going, what's that all about?
0: Yeah, so remember back when Apple talked about, like, hey, we've got this whole color thing that's going to be, you know, cheaper, better, faster? No, it's probably more just, like, you know, a... A broader set of colors um where things are mostly in uh, i think it's srgb right now um mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they give us the wider color gamut with uh what is it like p3 something or other um very similar yeah uh but you didn't just get it out of the box in this instagram post from their engineering team talks about some of the things that they had to do uh which i thought was, was pretty helpful because I've, I've touched color spaces a very tiny bit like i i definitely mm-hmm. recognized the um like, oh, like using UI graphics, begin image context with options and then, you know, plucking a, a UI image out of the current image context. And you have to be uh, a little bit smarter about that. If you're somebody like Instagram where they they are using the new APIs that are uh, P3, you know, broad color gamut aware. Um, but they also did a really good job of making it sort of seamless for their engineers to work with so they don't have to think oh let me put this if statement here like if this supports higher quality color let me get this otherwise support that they've they use some extensions to sort of make that easier for them where it defaults to the um the old approach underneath the covers right so it's very seamless uh and also what was pretty nice is they give an example and i can't find the link now they give an example of an image that they use it's a it's an image of their Instagram logo, but um, in red. And I saw it on a device that apparently supports the full color gamut uh, that right. my iPad Air 2. So I was able to see the logo. Um, I haven't looked at other devices. They claim that if you use their example image on a device that does not support, all you see is just a red square. So that sort of gives you like a, uh, oh, yeah, here you go. A sample mm. one. Let me look on this device. Let me see. Okay, so I am looking on my, um, this is my 2012 Retina MacBook Pro, the first edition, and it is just a red square. So sure. there you go. So that I, I can tell that it works then. It's in the posts. It's okay. under A Canary is, is the title. Um, they also talk about in this, about uh, how they dealt with their their whole filter pipeline, so I think they're less dependent on this than they were, you know, maybe back in 2012, but still certainly very popular for people to add, uh, maybe not the sepia tone, but, you know, other filters to their Instagram photos. And apparently they had trouble using their their normal OpenGL method of of editing and filtering, because OpenGL apparently is not color managed, it just operates on a range, and then it's up to the output to determine what the colors are. In their case, they said, "Oh, well, mm, the way we're going to hack around this is by doing all this stuff off screen in a buffer, and then placing it on the screen using a UI image view, which is wide color compatible by default. Um, And since they're not, as they point out, not a high frame, uh, high frame rate application like a game, it's sufficient for their needs. Like they're reaching out and wondering, like, hey, if you've developed a high Frame rate way of doing this. We want to hear from you. So, if anybody out there knows more about this than than I do, I, I'd certainly be interested to hear more about that because that that seems like a non trivial problem if uh, Instagram was looking to punt on it.
3: Right. Well, I've, I've spent, because I come from uh, ink on paper and publishing and um, dealing with digital photography in early days. I've spent a lot of time with color management, um, and uh, so, for instance, one of the things you mentioned here in this thing is the ICC. Um, ICC profiles, which are international color consortium profiles, which are used in displays to convert, you know, RGB colors into something that you can look at on the screen or print on a press or what have you, right? So, uh, it's interesting stuff. I'm going to pull this image into Photoshop and see if I can figure out what the hell's going on with it, but, um, interesting stuff. And, and it would, yeah, I think it was the, um, you said your iPad Air 2 as well. I think the iPad Pros have, uh, Mm-hmm. It's what nine point seven iPad Pro, I believe, has that new fancy display with the uh P3 color support. But you said you can see this on your your iPad Air 2, but not on you have an iPhone 7, right? I haven't looked at an um on my iPhone seven plus. I, I assume
0: being newer it probably would support it. But it I think it, yeah. I think it might be a difference in whether it supports the the wide color display versus, um, I think what you were referring to was the true tone display, which is slightly different, uh, but possibly right, right. related technology.
3: There's a link in this uh, note here to uh, hippolabs.com. They've got a, a, a short little post from 2012, actually, on ICC profiles. And they have an image here that they're showing a before and after on the same image. So we'll throw it in the show notes as well. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing like in terms of how... Um, color is taken from it's it's you know it's it's raw form and then displayed to you on your various devices and different ways right i think one interesting thing that they they point out here towards the end of the post is how they
0: decided to deal with storing images i think on the one hand at at smaller scale you know disk space is getting so cheap bandwidth is getting so cheap that it it may not be uh, that big of an issue um i'm kind of surprised that they decided to do this even at, at their scale so they're using facebook's uh, cdn the content delivery network mm-hmm. and they they decided that rather than having the apps or other clients be smart about handling this sort of thing they actually just end up storing different versions uh a, a wide color compatible and a non what skinny color i don't know what to call the opposite skinny color compatible <laughs> okay image. Yeah, sure um On their back end and then clients will just declare themselves to be like you verily i'm wide color compatible give me the wide color compatible version so they're switching Mm -hmm. on that based on um sort of the the back end understanding what the clients are capable of accepting i'm looking up a name here oh there we go i found the the right name i feel like this is the sort of thing it'd be great to see um gus mueller if anybody recognizes that name he's the uh, indie developer for acorn the image editing Mm -hmm. software and I remember yep. uh, maybe a couple of years ago sitting in maybe like a CocoConf presentation he did about color. And it just sort of blew my mind like how little I actually yeah, yeah. knew about color spaces and, and how they all work. And I'd love to see that updated to here because I i tried following along with this, this blog post and I, and I get how the, the Apple API stuff works. But I'd be very curious to see how that really works under the covers and what this all means uh, beyond mm-hmm, just what mm-hmm. the APIs give you.
3: Well, color for me for for a number of years was the holy grail in terms of trying to get it to manage it and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and you said you dealt with print, so you probably had to deal with CMYK
0: switching over to yeah light.
3: conversions. Yeah, well we right. we had um, we had originally um, a camera called Big Shot, which was one of the first digital um, uh, CCD cameras um, for used for the high end photography, and then we got into Phase One, which are used on Hasselblad bodies, which they use for a lot of product, uh, like product photography and fashion photography. Um, so we were always dealing with, you know, taking the files into into Photoshop, managing them, color managing them, and, you know, printing them out on... on we had, like, uh, inkjet printers made by Iris, big, giant ones. And uh, I'm trying to think who the other name was. And we would have to color manage the output so that it would look like it would... On a, web, on, on a, a printing press, right? So... Um, one of the funny stories is there's a standard out there called uh, swap it was a standard which stands for standard web offset press and what it was was the average color of the worst printer's worst like 50 printers in the united states right was this became this color standard for people not not realizing these were the worst presses you could have um and and mm-hmm. so that was kind of that swap standard became the sort of thing that uh people would uh, would match all their color too. So kind of ironic, you know. And then, you know, there was a period of time there where they got into what they called hi-fi color, where you would print with... And they use that on, on inkjet printers now, where you'd have a couple of cyans and a couple of magentas because CMYK color is not pure, and you can never actually reproduce what you can see on a monitor in ink or on paper, right? So it was always a challenge, right? Until they got into the high-def color, and then, you know, of course, nobody would buy it and... <laughs> Yeah, lots of that was that was like for me, that was like the 90s. <laughs> the 90s was all my color management days, so happy to put them behind me.
0: I feel like that's still an unsolved problem. I remember that you know, not that long ago, maybe five, five six years ago, Adobe had its whole like install this profile and this will match, right. make sure that your monitor matches what you're expecting to output. Um, yeah, I, and I don't know, I feel like at least from the printing side, maybe people kind of solved it by, you know, yeah. air quotes solved it by just printing less. So this is kind of more about
3: right. a display-based. Um,
0: well, here, here's an exercise you can do right
3: now. Anybody who's not dri- who's driving at home listening to this show can can uh, do this. But if you're on your Mac, open up System Preferences and go to Displays, right? And then uh, there's a tab there called Color. And underneath the, when you get to the color, like I'm looking at a, I have a cinema, LED cinema display that I have on my Mac, and then I've got my, my color display on my, on my, um, uh, MacBook 13, and I'm using color LCD. All, if you see a list there of different color palettes, those are all, um, color managed, color spaces, right? So on mine, I'm seeing R- Adobe RGB 1998, I'm seeing Apple RGB, CIE, which is another, you know, global standard color. Um, and then you can, if you look at, if you, if you have this on your screen and you can hit the calibrate button and what that'll do is it takes you through a couple of steps where it'll walk you through how to, how to, how to visually match your display to get you the best sort of gray balance and color balance that you can, right? Um, in terms of how you're looking at something, and and this is this is color sync. This is what we used to call color. We used to call color sync and had to install profiles. It's all built built into Macs and and uh, Windows machines for a long, long time, right? So. We used to sit down and, and fuss with it. We used to calibrate every monitor. We had all the, you know, the C R C C what is it? C R T, color cathode ray tube. We had all mm-hmm. the cathode ray tube monitors. We had to go through and with with a hockey puck, we'd put on the front of the screen, and it would read the color that was being output. And we'd have software to manage, to do the proper gray balance across all the different monitors. And every different manufacturer had a, had a slightly different. Uh, uh, profile that they would do, and I, one thing i 've always found is Apple displays have always been the best sort of gray balance color managed uh, displays on the market right so yeah and and but this this was my life it was we had you know had interns running around with hockey pucks once a week, just going through and making sure everybody 's monitors were balanced but you know, so if you if, if you take a few seconds, just go through the go through the display calibration assistant uh, thing here, and, and built into OS 10 uh, or Mac OS, I guess now, um, you'll see how you'll see how you can color profile a monitor, and it'll it'll offer to save you know whatever profile you want, and what it does actually it changes the way the images and things display on your on your various monitors and stuff, right? So we don't have this in iOS though, but thankfully, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more consistent right like i think it can be
0: sort of pre-tuned out of the box because they're they're shipping you a device that is a display with other stuff bolted to it so it's not as right, if, right. well yeah you might buy the apple display but maybe you bought the lg or the samsung um i mean they know it's not like oh right, right. <laughs> it's not like oh i got my macbook pro well it didn't come with a screen let me go buy a screen from like lenovo and shove it in there and and see what happens well
3: you know, you, you actually say that, but, um, uh, w- well, my client, um, uh, Two Life, who we did the app for, um, one of the things that, that uh, Diane, the publisher, said when when the iPad first came out was, and she came out of, remember, she came out of magazine printing, and, and you know, she, had, she used to have to drive up to, you know, three, four hours north of the city and, and do press approvals where they would print the magazine and then show it to her, and she'd say, no, the red's not right or whatever, and, and go through and, and massage the color to the point where they need it. That's what people did in printing, and they probably still do to this day, right? Right, they, what they call press approvals, right? Um, mm-hmm. But she said about the iPad when it first came out was was finally she was able to put her product onto a device that she knew would look the same here as it would in England or or United States or whatever because no matter where you looked, the, the iPads were consistent in terms of color, right? Uh, that said, yeah. then you know the, the 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 original MacBook 15 Retina display came out, and Apple had two suppliers, and there were differences between the color on the two on the two uh, displays, right? In fact, there was a, I think one of them had a defect and had to get there was a, like a, a recall where Apple was re- replacing them. So there's been a sort of you know a, a sorted history, I guess I could say, in terms of um, different things that happen on displays, and I think now. Um, I don't think the iPhone six, maybe I remember talking to somebody about the fact that there was two different, uh, LCDs used in, in, in the iPhones at one point. Right. And there was a slight mm-hmm. difference between them. Right. So, and, and I don't know if you have over, over time, like, well, we know now that the iPad air, no, the iPad pro has a different display. And you said your MacBook retina has a different display, right? A P P two or P three. Right. Um, because you can see that Instagram image for instance. Right. Yeah, I can see I can see the proper image on my iPad Air 2, but cannot
0: see it on my 2012 Retina MacBook Pro.
3: Right, right, right. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I can't see it on my on my MacBook Air because obviously MacBook Air doesn't have a great screen either, and my or my old LCD uh, cinema display here doesn't have, is an older like uh, you know mid mid 2000s display. So it can, all I see is a big red block as well, right? So it's kind of amazing to me that like here we are. Let's see. <laughs>
0: Twenty seventeen. Uh, well, I know we're in twenty seventeen I'm trying to think of how far back okay, so it's it's been more than twenty years from when I remember having to deal with web safe colors. Do you remember that old exactly. concept? Yeah. Like, yeah. Use oh, one yeah, of these yeah, yeah. like sixteen colors and on your web page and every browser everywhere can render this. And we're still basically dealing with the give, same give her problem. A give her a Just it's yeah. like, well, this one has, you know, thirty two million colors and this one has sixty four million colors, so your mileage may vary.
3: Well, the other thing I didn't tell you about the color management assistant thing that I was just talking about is the ambient light in the room also has an effect, right? At one point in time, we used to we used to have a radi- was, radius used to make a display for doing color correction in Photoshop, right? And it came with the hockey puck, and you could do the whole calibration thing. They even gave you a black smock to wear while you were color correcting because the color of your clothes reflecting off the monitor would change your perception of color. Oh, <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> that's how anal people get
0: about it right yeah and i think that's what the true tone technology that you'd kind of mentioned for the ipad uh, pro 9.7 inch has that it's it's supposed to correct for that if i'm not mistaken right, right. like oh yeah, it's um, ambient light, yeah. let's see the the ambient light in this room that i'm in right now is kind of yellowish tinted because of the light bulb that i have in there but if i was in exactly yeah. a different room where you have blue tint once presumably if i walk from room to room the same photo would um would adjust uh, or i should say the, the monitor would adjust the screen would adjust on the, the ipad if i took it there to make sure i'm still seeing the color
3: as intended not with extra tint thrown in for the environment it's back to that blue dress thing we talked about last year right mm-hmm. remember the blue dress mm-hmm. it looked white to some people and it would depend on the time of day and the amount of light in the room and what kind of monitor you were looking at um your perception of that that dress would change over time Right. did you ever yeah. experience that I know I, I did, did. I, I did on on a on a bus
0: from uh, for a company offsite and I, I thought people were insane or that it was some sort of joke or <laughs> like a, what do you mean it's not black and blue what do you mean you see white and green that's no you're telling me up is down and left is right that doesn't make sense
3: but totally, you've just experienced what I'm talking about is that the ambient light, you know, the, how tired you are, what time of day it is, what color, what color shirt you're wearing—all of this stuff affects, uh, affects your perception of color and how it's displayed off the screen as well, right? So weirdness. Wow. I guess I guess it still is the holy grail. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Cam, you got anything to say about color before we move on?
2: No, nothing about color. <laughs> <laughs> color color bothers me. I just did a color study, so I'm a little colored out.
3: Okay. What was the color study about?
2: Just for setting moods for scenes and things like that. And you know, like the different oh. the different tones and the heat and the I mean, like my head was swimming by the time I was done with it. I'm still not done with it. I'm still in the process of doing color studies, but right, right. you know, like uh, the obvious ones the the reds and the oranges are hotter and the blues and the the, the, the white colors are cooler and things like that. And you know, what, what yes. kind of a mood do you want for this scene or for right. that character? So yeah, the color is, color is life. Color is everything. Yeah. I don't know how colorblind yeah. people do it. Cause I, I, I know some colorblind people and mm-hmm. I can't even imagine, you know, like, I'm working with someone now who's colorblind and I'll send over this color and I have to send over more than just the color. I have to send over, you know, the code for the color, for example, just to make sure that it's the right, right. color. <laughs> but you know, they right, won't, right. they can't see everything that I see. And I don't know that I could, right. I don't think I could live in a world that I couldn't see all the colors.
3: Yeah. We also, we had a, a lady on roundabout a couple of weeks ago, uh, I guess last month in last fall, Who was I think she did drawings for? Remember the illustrator? She she did like not she didn't do drawings for for films or whatever, but she did sort of storyboards, not storyboards.
2: Betsy Bauer. She was
3: talking about, and she was talking about um, how you could set the mood by geometric shapes in the image or in the scene and the colors in the scene. Do you remember her make that comment?
2: I think that was her, but yeah, she whoever it was, it's absolutely correct. I mean, like you know, with character design, round is is more, you're more comfortable, more loving, more friendly, sharp, pointy stuff is evil doer guy. You know, you stay away from him.
3: Right. Like Darth Vader.
2: Exactly. The more angles you have, the, the more unapproachable that thing or that character is, then you start to bring in the hotter colors or the the darker colors. And now you've got yourself an evil dude. You know, you make a round, fluffy, you know, uh, light yellow colored character. You just want to go over and hug him.
3: Right, 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 yeah, maybe it was Betsy Bauer, hmm,
2: I think it was, but yeah, it 's all about the color so while I have a lot to say about color, i 'm sure the listeners would be very bored to hear it
3: <laughs> all right, okay, well we we bored them enough <laughs> with with between Jaime and I, but but it was interesting Jaime to hear her talk about you know using sharp angles and stuff like that to create a disturbing scene, like you know like 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 you know the scenes where you like you go to a castle or whatever, and it's all pointy and sharp, and you know that's they, they kind of do that on purpose, believe it or not, in movies, right. To, to mess with our heads
0: yeah and the same things about color and shape really apply to app development too right like so for the design the visual design piece where surprise surprise if you're looking at a particular kind of app and, and we've talked about this before where um different colors can mean different things right that certain uh certain kinds of apps like yeah. i think food apps tend to be red because it inspires appetite in it and right yeah sort of uh, orange is kind of like a not really one that's impactful from a sort of cultural standpoint, but ended up being more like a standout color that people used. Um, right. And, bl- and blue is
3: very conservative and safe. And, you know, so that's why a lot of it mm-hmm. companies use blue in their logos and yeah. And kind of banks yeah.
0: use green because green is money. Um, health, oh, really? Uh, uh, health, uh, like, you know, like weight watchers type stuff, I would assume uses green because green is also fresh and it gives you sort of a serene feel. Yeah there's there's definitely a lot that goes into it so it's not just like oh yeah that's cool we use it in you know media it's like no like of course some of these are kind of culturally dependent so be real careful with your colors but in general like you can evoke a certain feeling with those things
2: I can't uh, wait I till we get to spot. the picks now because I you just added one for me. But I'm not. I really want to talk <laughs> about oh, it good. now, but oh, I won't. No, I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. Okay.
3: <laughs> good. Good. Good girl. Good girl. So listen, um, I was actually reading this next post by Ash Furrow, friend of the show. I think he's, yeah, he's a friend of the show. Yeah, he's friend of the show. I'm still yeah. blaming him for Swift. I'm blaming him for Swift because I was at WWC and he was there as well. in in 2014, and when they, when they said, we got this new language called Swift and and I I just tweeted him and said, this is your fault. So, but anyway, Ash has (laughs) written an article here on naming things. So why don't you tell us about that, Jaime?
0: Yeah. So we've, we've talked about sort of idiomatic Swift and, and all the different things that that means. And we've talked about, um, sort of the difficulties in sort of getting concepts across, right? Because what we're dealing with in software development are very abstract things and, and naming things is like, as it said, is one of the hardest things in, in software development for sure. And, and this post I thought was pretty good because it, it starts out from the sort of standpoint of like using what Scala and what that language uses as sort of its language guidelines, as well as the sort of official Uh, swift.org api design guidelines. it kind of goes a little bit further in some things and and i think they're pretty good guidelines right so like let's take a look at some of the examples from the, the blog post like wider scoped names should be longer and in this case he gives the example like you know in a simple for loop where you're looping through um you know 10 digits and printing them out why is it okay to use the name i and recognizing that for you know, for i is going to represent each one of those iterations of values but you wouldn't accept mm-hmm. anyone like in a code review giving you a struct that has an attribute on it that's i you'd be like what what in the world is this i don't know what that is right like the the scope of usage is just too broad for for the struct or you can imagine a class in the same case where it, right. it would not be appropriate right and he gives a, a a fix where it's like well instead of you know, I of type int, let's make it number of interactions of type int. So when you see that in the code base, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. you kind of get what's going on. And also uh, sort of going along with like more used names should be shorter. Right. So like if you're using something a ton of times and it sort of out of repetition becomes like, oh yeah, I know what that is. You know, it doesn't need a huge, enormous name. And I know that sort of like, um, Objective C for sure is definitely pretty wordy, but I feel like a lot of the long name insanity kind of came out of the, uh, the Java days in the nineties where things were like abstract factory, factory presenter pattern type stuff. And, uh, you kind of don't need that as much, uh, spoiler alert for like later in the blog posts, he talks about like, well, if you have strongly typed things uh, like we do in Swift, as opposed to, let's say like JavaScript, um, you can kind of let the type give the developer more information, right? You don't have to say, "Oh, this is a downloader delegate." It's like, well, it's part of that class or part of that struct, so I kind of know that that's what it is, right? Like, it's not as mysterious as it was before. Like, it could be in the Objective C days where it could be an object or id, right, or ID, right. Um, the more used names, I think it. it Should be shorter is is a pretty good one because I've definitely seen that in the, oh my gosh, like, yes, it auto completes pretty well in in Xcode, but it's kind of painful to sort of read and see this thing that's, uh, that's used repetitively, repetitively. Um, I think the one that if you're going to take something away from this blog post that you should really glom onto and start using on a daily basis, it's the dangerous names should be longer.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So so he kind of gives the counter example of like something that's not dangerous like loading from cache like you really don't need to give it like a really long wordy name because it's like if you're really interested in that you, you'll go take a look. But something like um, deleting API credentials from the cache like if that's a destructive thing <laughs> that you don't want to deal with like that's a really right? good name because that will let people know like oh this one's important. maybe I should check to see what this does right And as opposed to like is it? Dell token. Which is like yeah, short for token delete hit. tokens. Like, well, uh, okay, what does that do? Right? That doesn't sound too bad. Delete a token. Uh, I can get more tokens. I'm, I'm flush with tokens. Right. Um I, I think those sorts of things are 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 good to follow because I've, I've definitely encountered code bases where really tiny, innocuous sounding names had huge ramifications if you use them incorrectly. Um, let me see mm. here. Oh, emitting names entirely, I think, is one that's very very swifty and i haven't seen the community really bond around this one so he kind of gives the the example of like named versus unnamed parameters like positional parameters in closures and uh, i don't know uh, so Mm -hmm. i'm I'm still relatively new to swift still using it uh, more and more on a daily basis um in my day-to-day job and i really i really haven't figured out sort of what the right thing to do is like it is kind of handy that you can just do dollar zero and dollar one and you have a really a really small closure like yeah okay I, i kind of get it um i think i've seen folks get a little too cute with that where i almost feel like i prefer the wordiness um but i don't know if that's because it's it actually makes it easier to read as a newcomer or if i'm sort of coming at it from a very biased standpoint because I'm used to the wordiness of objective C. I'm used to it reading like prose rather than it being uh, very succinct. So I think that's the one guideline that uh, I'd like to see sort of more analysis on and, and and sort of try it out in, in the code base that I'm working on and sort of see how it feels if it's, uh, I, I think writing is one thing, but sort of reading it myself again, you know, a week or two later, and then seeing when other people write something similar, how I feel about it and whether I truly understand what, what's going on.
3: And he mentions this guy, Ray Wonderlick or something.
0: <laughs> apparently, they got a guide.
3: Uh, I don't know who these people are. It sounds
0: like random Joes on the street, apparently, but it uh, sounds like they're pretty smart. So I'd, I'd say go check it but out. I'm-
3: I'm pretty sure it's been my pick before, the Swift Style Guide. We actually use that at work, too, so the official raywinderlake.com style guide, which our friend of the show, Greg, initially had a hand in, but he's no longer involved in it. But. Yeah, so have you,
0: having looked at this post, have you encountered uh, any of these kinds of issues or have other things that maybe you're like, oh, yeah, you should also consider this because this is what well, has bitten me we actually the, you know, are going
3: through... The, we're going through this right now. I mean, like, you know, one of the things about um, adopting a new language is is uh, how do you deal with things like um, naming? Like Mark and I are big fans of, of uh, self-documenting code where, you know, the, the, and that's one of the things you mentioned about um, Objective-C was that you could have method names that kind of explain what they were doing, you know? Um, and it's and it's, it's kind of sort of the same sort of thing we're looking for in Swift and and some of the rules in Swift. I'm just trying to find here. Um, you know, there's a sort of the swift.org has those rules. It's in the post here somewhere um, about like when you know the whole idea behind where Swift three is right now is is that you know to to try and reduce redundancies. Um, and and shorten things up and be much, much more succinct in in the way you're you're, you're naming things. So whereas Objective C tended to re- be a bit repetitive, right, in terms of like method declarations and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's you know trying to get rid of trying to get trying to make it a bit more clearer. But at the same time, now we're all sort of and as Ash says at the beginning of the post, we're starting to develop these idioms as we all start using Swift and and uh, uh, start dealing with it, right? So. So yeah, we are we are dealing with this right now, and we're um, going through how we, as a group, want to basically have a sort of standard in terms of how we're going to style our our code. And that help? Yeah, and and Tammy, <laughs> have
0: you run into this sort of thing on on the projects you've been working on?
2: Not really, mostly because I haven't been doing a whole lot of that.
0: Uh, okay, so uh, I don't know that it's, it's it's quite as applicable, but I. I distinctly remember when I was back in school, trying to help out a um, a fellow classmate on whatever assignment it was, and I remember he had way too much fun with the variable names he was using. You know, let's say the assignment was, right. "Oh, um, make a calculator," right? And I go, oh, "Okay, well, I was still learning, just like everybody else does." And, Maybe some of the variable names, if I look at them now, I'd be like, hmm, that's not great. I would have named it this instead. But at least it was a, a good, you know, attempt at making it um, sort of self-documenting. Uh, this guy, though, I remember him naming stuff like A, A2, meat, log. Mm. <laughs> like, what? Like, I right, can't right. read your code. I can't, I can't help you, man. I can't even understand what's going on here. This is like completely a representation of what's in your head i i I can't i I can't even read it It might as well be in its own Mm -hmm. different language so i I think sort of the whatever lesson you take out of this this blog post um i would think it would be like think about the fact that somebody's going to have to read this at some point uh assuming it's a longer lived project so uh, even if it's just you in the future uh you'll want to know what you were talking about (laughs) and without having to really follow through (laughs) You know, with breakpoints, step by step by step, to try to say, "Oh, it was adding these two numbers together." Oh, okay, got it.
2: You know the say the the saying goes, "Code like the guy that's going to read it after you knows where you live," <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: and he's a psychopath.
0: Ooh. You know, kind of bit semi-related. I find myself saying all the time, like, you know, future version of me is a wizard and knows how to figure out all of this stuff. <laughs> But past version of me is just a complete moron that doesn't know what's going on, and and I live somewhere in that gray area in between in right. the present. I find myself punting a lot of um, design decisions with the well, wizard me will figure it out, and future me in the future is like, what the heck was I thinking here? This doesn't
3: make any sense. Right. Mm. All right. Well, let's let's uh, on that note, let's uh, move into the pick area. Yay! So have you got a pick there, Tammy?
2: I have two Am my allowed to give you two.
3: Sure, yeah. Since since I have none.
2: All right. Well well my first one before oh. we had our conversation was Affinity Designer, which I just started mm-hmm. using. Um mm-hmm. I was really reluctant to move over to it. I had tried it a long time ago, I think when it was in beta. And I, I liked it. You know, it, it, it was it did what it needed to do. But I didn't really end up using it. And I've been working on this project the past um, little while here, and one of the people that I'm working with on it, that's all they use pretty much is Affinity Designer, and I'm like, look, I just I don't want to spend the money. I don't need another tool. Well, I ended up spending the money, and as it turns out, I do need another tool. So that is my pick. If you're not using Affinity Designer because you're stubborn like me, get up off your wallet and hand over the, I think it was like $50. Um,
3: what, do you guys, what, yeah.
2: what do you guys say? when? Because you, you Canadians, you say it weird, like $50 US or something. Is that what you say? So that's my that's my one pick, Affinity Designer. So
3: I want to ask you a question about Affinity Designer because it's come up a couple of times in conversations. Is it a, like a Photoshop replacement or is it no, sort it's, of just another it's Illustrator, Photoshop hybrid no no, 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 It's all vector. Oh, vector, exactly. okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, so it's Illustrator kind of thing, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And it's really good. Now, I'm, I won't mm. lie. I literally just bought it today and just started using right. it today. So I don't have much more beyond like that honeymoon period. But it was really easy right. to pick up. There's a lot of cool tutorials out there. Uh so definitely get it. Or try it out. They might even I don't know if they have a trial, but even if they don't, you should totally get it anyway. So my second pick
3: Yeah second. Well, well before well, you move on to that from that, I was gonna say, like a friend of mine was recommending a look at affinity Designer and, and Time or sorry, Jaime had mentioned um Acorn earlier, right? And um I had started using Acorn because I'm looking for something that was eventually gonna replace Photoshop, right? So
2: Well, you should look at it then.
3: What's your next pick?
2: My next pick, just because of the conversation we had about color and whatnot, and then Jaime was saying about it is relevant for designers. Another thing that I believe anyone who's in design or development or anything where they have to deal with um, end users, they really need to pick up the principles of design. It's a book. I don't know when it was published, but it was published a long while ago. And it is my holy Bible when it comes to thinking about design, you know, like where do I put this control or this button or how do I space out this person's eyes if I'm doing character design or something? So, I mean, it really... Anyone who is working on anything that you have to think about how the other person is going to use it, user ability, especially with regard to app design, The Principles of Design is the best book out there, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. That's my pick. That's my second pick. All right. I'll send you a link in the, uh, whatchamacallit.
3: That would be awfully swell.
2: I do, right? (laughs) <laughs> here it is. Univ- Universal Principles of Design right here, right on Amazon. I'll send you a link.
0: Uh, wow, I'm looking at this. Um, affinity Designer.
2: Get it.
0: A <laughs> lot of really cool features. So one, works in any color space, RGB, CMYK, lab, grayscale, so on and so forth. The file compatibility, there are files I don't even know what these are. I recognize SVG. I recognize PSD, PDF. I have no idea what
3: EPS and FH are. APS is encapsulated postscript, which you know printers would know. Um, cool, and it looks like if
0: you—I'm assuming this is still available—you can get a free UI kit with Purchase Affinity Designer. It looks like they've come up with um, sort of UI elements that you can use uh, either for your design or to mock up what you're doing. You know, like switches, labels, buttons, uh, hero images, that sort of thing. And apparently, each one comes in a light and dark version. Which is actually pretty cool because the the scuttlebutt right now is that Apple is going to be introducing a dark UI option for some version of iOS in near term, and so we might end up having to think about making our UI uh, you know, dark mode compatible. Like, right. I don't know if you've seen like like the official Twitter app has a dark mode, which which is what I use. So the the default background color for tweets is like some dark gray. Right. And I find it a lot more pleasant on my eyes. So it's not just beaming, you know, pure white straight into my eyeballs.
2: His pick is I like now. the fact
3: that Infinity Diviner is not a, not a subscription price. It's just one price. Isn't Pay that once. nice? That's awfully nice.
2: It's so retro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you own the bits forever, uh, as long as it supports your version. It looks like it's... How far back does it go? So it's Sierra compatible, but I didn't see the minimum... Well, it actually was price. a.
3: It won an ADA um, back in 2015, so Apple Design Award, right? So I do. I remember hearing about it at the time, but it's also on the iPad. Apparently, oh, it's coming to the iPad. Not there yet. So how about that, Tammy?
2: Yeah, I'm still using Procreate on the iPad, which I was just using about 20 minutes before I came into the podcast, which is why I was late to the podcast. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The truth comes
0: out. So- so I'm looking. Sorry to to, to really get into the nitty gritty on this. Like optimized for Mac, and there's some things that sort of make sense to me as a user. I'm like, yeah, you know, Force Touch compatible. Ooh, that's cool. iCloud Drive, yeah. Retina UI, cool. OpenGL. Mmm. Okay, <laughs> sure. Uh, core graphics. Mm, okay. <laughs> all, all, all right grand central dispatch I'm like, all right <laughs> I, I feel like that's gone too far right like i know too much about how the sausage is made and i don't know that whether you use gcd or you use straight up ns operation queues if i really sort of care as a user as long as it works really nice <laughs> i feel that one was uh stretching a little bit i feel like maybe they they had a design here for like hey let's add all these like optimizations and oops it's an uneven number. No, we can't have an uneven number. We need to add right, a couple right. more
3: <laughs> so it fills out
0: and looks nice.
3: Oh look, it even has DCI P3 panel support. Which we were talking about earlier. Apparently
2: hmm. I've created a couple yeah. monsters over there. Uh-huh.
3: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm telling right, you, just well, stop looking
2: at it and go get it.
3: Now <laughs> it's sixty nine ninety nine Canadian even. Yeah. There
2: you go. Fifty that's what you say. Fifty Fifty dollars US. That's that's the term you US. use. Okay. Fifty dollars. Okay. Couldn't okay. remember. No, no. Or sixty nine
3: ninety nine Canadian.
2: Canadian. Right.
3: Canadian. Yes, yeah, but when you
2: exactly. say dollars, doesn't that denote USD?
3: Well, we have Canadian dollars, and Australia oh, have... has dollars as well. So.
2: Oh, see, I don't, I don't leave my house. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm not very well traveled. Yeah, it,
0: it probably would be a very how, how, you, you American centric. Uh, view to assume it is but then i'd say well considering that so many other economies are based on the u.s dollar it kind of seems like if you just say dollar it's u.s dollar and if you need to specify with anything before like canadian australian so forth then you specify where necessary i feel like it's 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 cleaner that way it feels very odd to say u.s dollar because nobody says that here Right. And and again very US centric. Yeah. Yeah, but they
2: say it backwards. They say fifty dollars US. That's what confused me. Why wouldn't you say fifty USD? See, then you covered.
3: Well we could say we we could say fifty USD, but then yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, which brings me to my pick, which I just threw on the page here. Sorry, Jaime, I'm, I'm jumping in here. Yeah, Jaime, posted, Jaime posted something the other, the other day, which was a little uh, series of YouTube videos. And I ended up watching them on my, f- my fancy-smancy smart TV here. But it's a history of paper money. Like, how did we go from trading goods to giving people pieces of paper that have value. And, and in the sixth episode, you find that once they got away from the gold standard, the U.S. dollar became the standard measure for most money currencies around the world, believe it or not.
2: You cannot have this conversation with me right now because my tinfoil hat is not nearly tight enough right now for this conversation.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. But anyway, it's a series of... You have to look of, at the uh, real
2: history of the United States dollar to find out exactly what I mean. I'll give you a tip. Oh, well, no. Federal oh. Reserve, start there.
3: Well, hang on a sec i I'm talking about my pick, which is the, uh, the YouTube series. So what are you talking about? The real history of the U.S. dollar?
2: No, I can't I talk about it. this. Okay, I'm just telling.
0: You, I feel do, like do, we need Google.
3: like some like dun 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 music right when Dun Dun says. <laughs> <laughs> no, is there something just, I don't know about the American dollar? Like, is it like the the eye in the sky and the? E well, florist, there you got. You do have. And, you do have
2: the eye in the pyramid, Illuminati confirmed yeah. and whatnot. But oh. no, seriously. When all kidding aside, just do do a little Google check on the history of the Federal Reserve. And then you'll. Right, okay. And then wear your tinfoil hat because if you go down that path and you start getting into that weird part of YouTube, then that's where reality and truth kind of get a little confusing. Right,
3: right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no know, he knows too much. <laughs> um, wait, wait, wait. So, so now do we have to pay somebody a lot of money because we just went? Dun dun dun. You have to. It's
2: By your way, show. You know, <laughs> you know
3: it's, it's it's funny. You know something, Jaime you, and you and Mark were talking a couple of weeks ago, and I don't, I don't know if it was in the out sh- after show or whatever about the three tones that are like um, some network, like NBC or something like that. The, yeah. dun, 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 apparently that is dun, dun. trademark. Oh, apparently sh- that, that is say it, Jaime. <laughs> let's yeah. get intel suing us too
0: dun, 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 dun. is that what the <laughs> pentium inside was <laughs> right 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 yeah absolutely those are very I mean, I've immedi- I haven't seen an intel commercial in a very long time that I can actually right. remember but I r- absolutely remember the tone and NBC's I always remember the tone so of course they trademarked it like it'd be wow. crazy not yeah. to it sounds weird, because it's like it's just three tones for the heaven signal, well, yeah, but it 's very recognizable arrangement of tones,
3: yeah, well, what i want to say too was uh, since I was on that thing about uh, I was listening to that on I think it 's called age of persuasion, um a guy named um Oh, he's like the hockey player. Uh, I've forgotten his name now. Terry O'Reilly, has a show on C B C and he's a marketing guy here in Toronto and he does these amazing talks on on that. And that's where he talked about that particular tone being copyrighted a couple of weeks ago. And he's a it's a podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes. People should listen to it. It's pretty cool. All right, Jaime, the moment has come at last. What is your pick? My pick feels like it follows with the theme that
0: we sort of accidentally had in the in the show today. Um It's a tool called Zeppelin. It's at zeppelin.io. And it's a tool that I used recently on a project at work where you need to have a lot of fast coordination, really tight coordination with the design team. In this case, working on a visual refresh um, that we recently went through. And I don't know how it would have been possible to to get what we got done without this tool. It's really nice. It integrates uh very nicely with sketch right like it'll produce um you know different versions of things that you need for iOS and Android. Uh but having things like the color palettes, so instead of like having to go bug somebody and say, hey, what is this green? Is it C D2X5? Uh no, it's it's some other value. Like I don't have to guess. I could see right in the palettes what it is. And likewise I can see alignments of things, right? So a lot of times you'll see like, oh, well, okay, that's, that's great. I, I can see how this thing is anchored to this other thing, but, well, what about this over here? Like, how does that align? Like, how far does that need to be? And you can see those alignments kind of like, um, if you've ever seen people use Xscope, the, the Mac tool. So kind of shadow pick their Xscope is also pretty good for this too, for the alignment stuff. Um, it'll give you sort of the red lines of like, oh, this is 52 points and, uh, in width, and it's 10 points away from, uh, let's say like the layout guide. Um, but you can also, uh, communicate with folks on here. So you can leave notes like, Hey, th- this alignment isn't going to work on the iPhone 4s. What should we do in that case? And it really, really helps because everybody sees it rather than it being like, you know, in a separate tool, like Slack, for example. Um, which funny enough, this actually does have Slack integration. So you can get updates in there if you, if you hook up the bot so you can say oh like alert somebody in this channel that you know somebody has gone and, and entered more information about this or they've added new screens or they address some sort of comments that you had so I, I found it really great um i know i've used sort of other methods um in other visual design refreshes in in, in the past and it definitely has not been as seamless and successful as uh as this has been i think this really saved a lot of heartache for for everybody there's like less round trip time of like well you know let me output something from an artboard, or oh let me the designer's not there so not really sure it's like well i can see what their design currently was so i can actually look at it and purely understand it without any sort of intermediary in between yeah have, have either of you used uh, zeppelin before or similar tools? Well,
3: you know what? I, I think I signed up for Zeppelin when it was just being announced and before it had rolled out into the beta program because um, it, it rings a bell. And I was looking at a lot of wireframing tools a couple of years ago when I was working on some projects that I had to get done pre-PDQ. Um, so it, it does look very familiar to me, but I think I I, I think I didn't pull the trigger on it when it first came out. But so you, And you were using it with your team this week or...? like uh, not, with your other members or not, not this week, but
0: during like the holiday timeframe, uh, it looks like they launched their 1.0 in July of 2015.
3: So yeah, uh, it seems yeah, like it sounds about right. Yeah.
0: Well, it could a year or two ago that I heard about it probably when they had the the beta launch back in right. September, October timeframe of 2014.
3: Right. Yeah. I, I do remember signing up for it. I'm just trying to find it. I probably do have still have an account, but, uh, yeah, but I thought it was only with Sketch because I mean that was the one thing that uh, that was the showstopper for me because I don't have I don't use Sketch, right? So, so but are you so so coming back to this, so you you were able to go through a, a, a like a set of design set, setups for for building an app with this?
0: Yeah, so let's say like um, let's say you've got like an account screen. It's like okay, well this is moving here, this is moving there, and I'm looking at at the design, you can say, well, hold on. Like if this is specified to be this many points tall, always, there's no way that all of this is going to fit on an iPhone 4s." And I was able to add that sort of comment right. and they're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And then the Android folks came and said, yeah, we've got some smaller density devices that this will have a problem with too. And so everybody could see that, right? Like we, we could have had like an altogether different kind of conversation, but instead it's captured in the tool. And then, I got a notification on Slack that it had been addressed and I was able to just go pop right into Oh, okay, there you go. So it's not an absolute number, it's more like you know, twenty-five percent of the screen is this size. Right. So like I felt like that really helped um fix problems before it can kind of be you know too much to deal with, right? Because you we are trying to do things on rather tight time frame and, and this really helps keep everybody like on the same page.
3: Right. Sort of like um what's base campy kind of collaboration right does it does it output code like i, I see here on the, the little movie they got on the their homepage, uh, sort of a swift or objective c and color palettes and that kind of stuff does it export all that kind of stuff for you to use in a project later or does it work
0: the only thing i remember were colors and fonts that it that it does but um okay like i, I can see how that would make sense if you're like prototypes and something but considering that i already had um, an architecture uh, like a typesetter and a color palette object that dealt with all of that the that was less interesting because uh, even though it will generate code that's like oh um you know we can use this with the rgb values or we can generate it with uh, hex values which shockingly to this day uh, ui color does not support hex values which <sighs> which bothers me, right? Because everybody, everybody either writes the code themselves to, to convert or they use like a little third-party snippet or heaven help you, a CocoaPod, to uh, to do that sort of thing. In mm-hmm. this case, I was already working within the framework of an existing app that, that already dealt with the conversion between those. So uh, that part wasn't necessary. But yeah, you, you could, right? Instead of like, oh, man, all right, so I see that this is, you know, RGB value 75, 64, 151. How in the world am I going to turn that into, you know, UI color, color with RGB, and it's like a zero to 1.0 sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's, that's painful. And, and this can generate the code for that, so you can get the little snippets. Oh, there you go.
3: It's this. This is the color. Interesting tool. i have to take it out for spin. That's Zeppelin Without, with one P. All right. I Guess that's it for the week. What do you think? Yeah? I think so. All right. So, Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? They would go on to Twitter because I am at Dev of the Hair. And Tammy, if people want to find you on the interwebs,
2: I'm usually on Twitter, Paradox927, although I've been somewhat silent lately, which is a good thing, right?
0: Mm. It's is good it? for productivity, I, I think, to be silent on social media. It means that something yes. is, is brewing and percolating.
2: Oh, there's brewing. All right.
3: Mm. Mm. All right. And and I'm Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. That's the best way to get a hold of me. All right. And I we'll guess we'll see you guys next week. See Bye. ya. Goodbye
2: and you just listened to the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. No, I do have I a problem though.
3: What's that?
2: For some reason oh wait, okay, mean? I fixed it. Never mind. <clears throat> what I was, was your no my my problem was it was screaming at me and saying I only had like four hundred meg free on my disc and I was like, Well that's not right. But I, I don't know. I I waved a magic meg? I know, right? I'm telling you, I just got this computer <laughs> back from Apple today and things are weird with it. Very very weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's, so why
3: why would you send your Mac into Apple to get fixed? Like what what's the deal with that? Well, for Is one, I, or?
2: well, because well, I'm two hours away from any store in any direction, so I couldn't just yeah, walk it in. But sure. the problem with it was the um, it's a 13 inch MacBook Pro, and the reflective display stuff, whatever that's called, on the monitor screen right. kind of like rubbed off. And I don't even like people Mm -hmm. touching my screen, so I couldn't deal with the tiny little marks that this issue was causing. And apparently it's a known issue, so when I called them up and said, hey, look, I got an issue, they were like, oh, no problem, just send it in. I got to tell you, it took me longer to get the backup, move over to my 15-inch temporarily, get everything set up over there, than it took them to fix Mm -hmm. this. I sent it out on Monday. It came back today. Today's Wednesday wow yeah i know right
3: and it's the same computer
2: it's the same computer what? i mean like i said it's being a little weird but that's just because i think i have other things going on with it but uh yeah and it looks great the display looks fantastic
3: they just replaced the display probably weird
2: yeah hmm. yeah so yay for wow. apple i could bitch about them all i want but in the end you know <laughs> i'm not going to use anything else
3: so does the whole top case look like it's been replaced? Like, does it look shiny and new and stuff? Or? Well,
2: yeah, there's no cat prints on it.
3: So. <laughs> <laughs> the cats have been licking at your screen, is what the problem is, right?
2: I said, that was the first thing I said to my <laughs> husband. I'm like, oh, look, there's no cat prints on the top. They really must have fixed it. <laughs> right,
3: right. That's the evidence. Yeah. Right. So as you know, I moved on to the MacBook uh, Pro recently, right? And uh, I think I'm thinking I'm my, into my second week on it. But for the first week, it was like I was constantly looking for adapters and doggles and trying to figure out how to transfer my files. Lately, I've just been using Airdrop to transfer from one Mac to the other, right? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I so I've I've gone back to the Apple store a couple of times. I got some of those Belkin uh, Ethernet adapters finally and... uh you know, bought a. I had to buy a USB C to Lightning cable for, to charge my my test phone at work and all that kind of stuff. So it's been a challenge, right? So, but I'm I really started to love the the the, the touch bar. It's kind of it's interesting. I put I posted a, somebody told me uh, one of the other guys has got uh, one of the other MacBooks and he says this chat the emoji thing is really cool, right? Well, what it is is if you if you're in a tool like uh, Hip Chat or something like that, um, and you hide the keyboard thing. Or the keyboard shortcuts. It, because it kind of does, you know how I, I mentioned before when you're doing, um, when you're type, when you're texting on your phone and it gives you the suggested words across the top to save mm-hmm. you having to type the whole word? Well, it does that in the touch bar too now, right? So if you're, and it, sometimes, you know, you're just, you're typing away and you have trouble spelling a word and, it, you know, you can see the word just sitting there in the thing and you just tap on it and it enters it into the text, right? But as well as that, if you switch over to the emoticon view, you get all the sort of frequently used emoticons. And that's the screenshot I put on Twitter, Right. So it it is becoming like it is very much like um, you know if you've been using an iPhone for any length of time or even the iPad, like with the play I think we talked about this with playgrounds for iOS, where as you're coding it actually gives you suggestions as to how, as to what code to put in right uh, just above the keyboard right the virtual keyboard right um, and that's kind of sort of the role that the the touch bar is taking place of in in uh, your daily use right so. You know, every now and then you, you, your eye just catches some sort of shortcut, you know, that you could use at any point in time, right? So mm-hmm. I did download mm-hmm. the piano the other day and try that out, too. <laughs> it's a <laughs> little hard to hit the black keys, but... Right, because yeah. they must be tiny on that thing. Well, you kind of sort of have to... I found I have to sort of tilt my finger and come from the top down, if you can imagine what I mean by that, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. so so if, you, if you're going to play something in the key of C, you're fine, but if you want to play anything... You need the key. You need the black keys for, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I haven't tried. I haven't tried the Doom game yet, so it's, it's coming later.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars